Turn to 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 16. And we're going to be in our second lesson on David in this new series called Up Close and Personal, and it's called Winning the Waiting Game. So you know, we went through it last week. Just imagine if we were to select a president of the United States today like we did, like they did back in the time of Israel. And you wonder, so who would we go to? Where would we go to select our next president? Where do you think the search would begin? You know, places like Harvard and Yale and Princeton. You know, a fortune, maybe five hundred CEO that that could serve as our president or go to Congress and go to the Senate go to one of the richest men in the nation go to a sergeant or a movie star or a professional athlete this is where we would go like hey who's the top of the line of the rich and famous those are the people that we want as our next president well instead of all of that as we walked through last week The search in the Old Testament in Israel for their next king went to a little town. I've picked on Buckley and Kingsley enough. A little town like Kopmish. To a home with questionable background. And the people go to the youngest son, who isn't even in the room. He's out in the field. He's watching the sheep. So in this situation, you know... It would be the youngest son who's out in the pasture and he's driving the cows in for milking time. And that, my friends, is how the story of David began. And you know why it began that way? Because God gave us the biggest clue on what matters most to him. Because he says this, and we all know because we're all there, we all see the same thing and feel the same thing. God says, you know, I I know what you're looking for. Man looks on, were you here last week? Remember we talked about this. Man looks on the what? On the outside. Man looks on the outside. Like we're impressed by all that stuff. But God looks at things differently. And here's what God says. I look. Were you with me last week? What do you say? I look at the what? I look at the heart. God sees things differently than you and I see them. God looks at what matters most. And so when the whole story of David unfolds, we understand there's something different about him than about about his brothers, than about others in Israel. God saw his heart. David's a man after God's heart. David has qualities of love and humility. God's looking for when he's looking for leaders. So that's where all of this begins. And so, you know, God had denounced Saul as the next king. He says, I'm done with him. He's, he's, a, he's just a people pleaser. He, he caves in when others demand things and, and they're not obeying me. He says, I'm done with him. I'm going to get someone else. And then at the bottom of, of um, the discussion we had last week, verses 13 and 14 in chapter 16, So here's David, and and Samuel goes to him, verse 12. So he sent for him, had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. This is the next king. And so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him. And and this 
oil is a symbol of abundance. It's a symbol of blessing. And, and so Samuel went and poured over the head of David, this young boy, who would be the next king, saying, you know what, you are going to be blessed. You're going to have abundance on you, abundance of my spirit, abundance of my blessing. And you're going to be this next established one over Israel. And it's also important to note, David was anointed king in front of all of his brothers. What a lesson for them. This is the one, this is the one I'm going to be using. And so this isn't just an everyday occurrence. This is a significant one. This is a monumental one. David is the next king of Israel. And then we wonder, so what happened? What happened at this point? Well, I'm here to tell you what happens to David is what happens with you and I. This isn't going to be the flashy time of his life. You know, oftentimes we say, this is, this is great. I'm going to be the next king of Israel. I'm just here to tell you that didn't happen immediately. I don't know what expectations may have been there, <clears throat> what anticipations. I'm going to be the next king. Here we go. Well, it didn't happen that way. David ended up going back to the pasture, back to the sheep. Basically, Samuel says, okay, you're the next king of Israel. Everyone back to work. Back to the sheep. Brothers, back to the military. This wasn't a flashy time. This was a waiting time. This was reality. Reality sometimes doesn't meet our expectations or our anticipations. I, I, read, I read a statement one time. <clears throat> it stuck with me ever since. It says, the hardest kind of tea to swallow is reality. <laughs> it's hard. Let's read David's reality. You there in 1 Samuel 16? I just want to read his reality starting in verse 14. Some of it sounds great, but the rest of it is just regular life. Look at this. It says, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. Verse 15, Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the lyre. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes on you and you will feel better. So Saul sent to his attendants, find someone who plays well and bring him to me. One of the servants answered, I've seen a son of Jesse of Bethlehem who knows how to play the lyre. He's a brave man and a warrior. and He speaks well and is fine looking and the Lord is with him. Then Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. So Jesse took a donkey, loaded with bread, a skin of wine, a young goat, and sent them with his son David to Saul. David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul liked him very much, and David became one of his armor bearers. Then Saul sent word to Jesse, saying, Allow David to remain in my service for I'm pleased with him. Whenever the Spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up the lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul, and he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. 
So, Father, before we dive in, I'm here with a group of people that are facing reality today where expectations and anticipations don't meet up to present day. And you want to teach us today, God. You want to meet with us and you want to teach us something important that we can walk out of this building with and be changed. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, do that. Don't let us go without you working on our heart and helping us see how we can please you during the reality time of life. We pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Are we together on this? Say amen. Amen. Yeah, we're together on it. So here we go. Here reality sets in. He's back to the pasture. He's back to the sheep. His expectations, his anticipations are gone. And what we want to see over this passage here is there are two tests, two tests that God gave David, and they are tests that train God's leaders. So they're not just for a king back millennia ago. They are for you. They are for me. And we need to see the first test that God gives here, and we need to unpack in the passage, is the test of time. The test of time. They need to just unfold for a moment. We know David is going to be king, but at this point, when the oil is poured over his head, most scholars give about a seven-year window of time of his age right here. So I'm here to tell you today, most scholars believe David at this point in time was somewhere between eight years old and 15 years old. That's just, number one, it's just crazy to imagine. This wouldn't be the first eight-year-old king in the history of Israel either. I'm so glad that my kids didn't rule my house at eight years old. Probably some of them actually felt they did. Somewhere between eight and 15, he's anointed king. And then he goes back to the sheep. He goes back to the pasture. He goes back to life the way that it was. Even though the Spirit of God came upon him mightily, as the text says, you would think, wow, This is going to be different. Things are going to change now. My brothers see that I'm king. I'm sure they're going to be different. Well, guess what? They all go to the military. David goes back to the pasture, and nothing is different. It's this test of time. Now, the text tells us later on, when David became king, he was 30 years old. So you realize it's somewhere between 15 and 22 years between the commissioning and between the coronation that came. This was not an instantaneous thing. It was something that took upwards to two decades before he actually became king. Now, I don't think I need to fill you in on the reality that today, our day, our culture is a me-centered, now-centered culture. Am I telling you the truth on this? You know it. It's me, and it's now. I don't need to wait. I'm fulfilled now. My demands are met now. You know, you don't even have to wait for a book to come through the mail. You can just 
download it, boom, here we go, I've got it now. How many of you have Amazon Prime? Let's see the hands, okay, yes, yes, I see that hand, you can put that down now. Yes, because I want two-day shipping and I want it free. I want this thing here now, bring it. I don't have to go to the store to rent my movies anymore. They're in my house, they're on Netflix, they're in all this stuff, I can just get them right now. In fact, you know what, it's out at the movies, I don't even need to go to the movies because I can get it on Disney Plus for cheaper than what I would take my family of nine to the movies to see. You know, you realize everything is now, it's a me culture, you don't have to wait. There's faster delivery, there's instant results. Everything seems to happen like this. Well, I'm just here to bring us to the reality that God is not an instant God. Our salvation and forgiveness can be instant. Our growth is not. And when it comes to God's timing, have you noticed that when it comes to God's timing, I've never heard anyone accuse God of being early. I've never had anyone say, wow, that was fast. Much faster than I ever thought. Undeniably, when people make judgments about God's timing and situations, they view him as taking too long, waiting too long, or sometimes even accuse God of being late. God, you missed it. I'm going to give you some illustrations from the Bible that will support your illustrations in life. In fact, I think of um, Joseph. In the Bible, Joseph was one that had a dream from the Lord that he was going to end up rising up and being in power over all of his brothers and over his dad. It was 14 years from that dream, and he ended up being thrown into a pit. He ended up being put into prison. And then he, uh, after being sold into slavery, is 14 years from the dream to the position. For Noah... You know how long it was from the instructions to build an ark to when rain fell? It's about a century, about a hundred years. For Abram, Abraham, God says you're going to have a son. He's going to be great. And your seed is, is going to be like the sands of the seashore. You know, it was 25 years from that promise until when God delivered with his son. For Jacob, he was going to marry this beautiful young woman. And guess how long it was until that happened? It was 14 years between when he was going to get married and when it actually did happen. And then such was the case with Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. And in John 11, it chronicles this whole, this whole theme and... Um, and it mentions that Mary and Martha called for Jesus because Lazarus was just, he was dying. He was on his last stretch. And, and it says that Jesus lingered and waited two days before coming. And then he showed up, and, and I'm going to paraphrase Mary and Martha, but here's what they told Jesus because Lazarus was already dead. He was wrapped up, and he was put into this tomb. And Mary and Martha, here's what they said to Jesus. Jesus. You're late. You could have healed him. 
but you aren't on time, you're late. Can we just be open with each other for a moment? Have you ever thought, God, why are you taking so long? God, this is too difficult. Get me out of here. I want out now. Why so long? Maybe you said, God, I thought this would have been easier. I thought it would have been over. I thought your promises were for better for me. And I'm not sure what your weight is right now. Is it, is it a health thing? Maybe you've been dealing with something for such a long time. Is it a job issue? Is it a relational challenge? I found that the hardest and longest waits often center on the family, you know, the things that are dearest to us. Marital strains seem like they just take forever. Challenges with children. Or maybe some people struggle with infertility or with singleness, and it just seems like this weight is forever. You were certain your expectations were different. Your life would turn out differently. And each tick of the clock is a tick of our anxiety or disappointment or despair because it just seems to go on and on and on, just like David did right here. So here's the reality of it. If you're taking notes, the, the test of time is a test of our patience. It's a test of our patience. Can I mention something to you? I guess I'm going to anyway, so even if you don't give me permission, and here's what it is. If you're still waiting on God for something, I need you to know it's not because God is screwed up. It's not because God doesn't know what he's doing, and it's not because he doesn't have a plan. He's making it up as he goes along. If you're in a waiting time, God has a plan and a strategy for you. And here's what it is. We expect, we expect, but God perfects. We have expectations. God's thinking about perfecting something. And he's changing and he's building and he's growing our lives. And I'm, I'm going to tell you in our time, in our day, in our age, one thing that has changed waiting times is the healthcare industry. Back 20, 30 years ago, people end up getting a knee replacement or a hip replacement, and they're in the hospital for a week. I'll never forget last year getting a video of one of our people who had a hip replacement here at church. It was the night of their surgery. They were home, and they were walking and in fact, they were being naughty because they were walking without a walker or a cane. And they sent me this video. Can you believe it? And it's crazy. Everything is up. You don't have to wait as long in the hospital after a procedure or surgery. It's kind of like they get you up, get you going, and here you are going home. But I'm going to tell you one thing that they have not sped up one day. The healthcare industry has not been able to speed up this at all. You want to know what it is? 
It's pregnancy. <laughs> they have not sped up pregnancy one day. It's still nine months-ish. We had four of our seven between July 31st and August 28th in the heat of summer. Some of you ladies are like, I know exactly what you're talking about. My poor wife. And they have no way of saying, okay, let's just, you don't see a hospital saying three-month pregnancy. And, and everything will be just like it was. It's not. And you want to know why it's not? Because it's tied to the development and growth of what's on the inside. We'd love to say, let's, let's get this thing going. But we can't move it along any faster because there's something growing, something developing, something maturing. And it needs, that baby needs every opportunity to grow those fingers and toes and the lungs and everything to develop exactly how it should. And so here I need us to grab this because this was David. David was in the waiting. And just to open up the story, David in his waiting out there, he ends up seeing a bear and he ends up seeing a lion trying to take the sheep and he goes over there and he beats him and he fights him off. And you know what? That was going to come to good use later on when he came up against this really tall guy named Goliath. David was out in the field and he's playing the lyre. And he's singing to nobody. He's singing to sheep, people. Day in and day out. And you're like, man, what a wasted time. No, it was not wasted. And here's the phrase I need to get us to think about today and interact on today. Your waiting time is not wasted time. God's growing us on the inside. God's building us on the inside. Everything that we're experiencing is for our good and for our growth. So the waiting with God, waiting time is not wasted time. There is a product he's thinking about in your life that would not come otherwise. Unless he reached down and he pushed this button called pause. It's not wasted. I need to, I need to keep trucking here. There's a second test. There's a test of time. It's a test of our patience. It's the waiting time. And then there's another test that we see from the text, and it's the test of service. Now, this is the one that really gets me. We understand waiting, but this is a whole different spin on the whole thing because David is going to be king of Israel. So start thinking, put on the big brain. There's only one human that is standing in the way of him being the next king of Israel. And that human is Saul, the current king. Now God took his spirit away from Saul and put an evil spirit in there, so Saul's losing it. Saul's going nuts, and you know what? The sooner he goes nuts, the sooner David is king of Israel. Well, look at what happens in the text when you get down to the end, verse 21 in, in chapter 16, David came to Saul 
and entered his service, and Saul liked it. David was an armor bearer, but then he was to also play the lyre. So verse 23, whenever the Spirit of God came on Saul, this bad spirit, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul and he would feel better. So here's the crazy thing. The test of service. Saul was the only man between him and the throne. And God chose David to come and to play the lyre and to serve Saul which would end up extending his reign as king. So what a crazy test, this test of service in the waiting. He was actually utilized by God to advance the purpose of the one who is in his place of future advancement. And we could have easily said, you know what? I'm anointed king. My next destination is king, not harpist to the king, not armor bearer to the king. I'm the next king. But instead, he ministered health. He ministered comfort to the heart of his troubled leader. And this is the the thing that blows me away. Saul's best days were when David was there serving with his songs of peace on the harp. And I just want to give this to you as we kind of come down the home stretch here's the test of service and here's what it is the test of service is a test of humility it's a test of humility are we willing to denounce our ego and do a task we feel is outside of our calling are we willing to humble ourselves, even to those we feel are our opposition even to those that are in our way And in our time of waiting, humble ourselves to the point where we serve and make a difference in the lives of someone else. This is the lesson of David. This is the test of leaders. These are the things that God does for us. Here's the neat thing. You wonder, um, God not only used those songs of David to minister to that crazy king. We love the Psalms too, don't we? The the songbook of the Old Testament, and David wrote about half of them. And they minister to you and they minister to me. In fact, you know, one of those Psalms has probably touched the hearts of the globe. It goes like this. I don't know what the tune was to the lyre, but David would sing, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. Here's the amazing thing. We think, oh, God used David's waiting to serve Saul who was in his way to be king. But you know what? God used David's waiting to end up serving followers of Jesus Christ for centuries and millennia. So let's talk about it. Are you waiting? What are you waiting for? What's going through your mind right now? What is that waiting thing? Is is it your marriage? 
Is it a kid? Is it your job? Is it a health issue? Is it a struggle? An addiction? What are you waiting on? Do you wish God would just come in and... But our wait is for a purpose. And through the test of our patience and humility, God wants us to grow us, and he wants to use us to minister to others. So I just want to tell you a phrase, and then we're going to finish up with this. Don't waste your weight. Don't waste your weight. It has a purpose. It has a God-ordained purpose. And we waste our weight. Come on. We've all been there. We waste our weight when we try to manipulate the factors to get it done with sooner. Let, let, let me get in there and tweak things and maneuver things. And I want this now. And we waste our weight. Or we waste our weight when in pride we bark back at God. I shouldn't have to wait. Or we bark at others around us. I'm above the weight. That's when we waste it. Or when we complain. I don't like this. I don't want this. Or we waste the weight when we sit around and do nothing, just letting the clock tick, hoping that things will change. We waste the weight. So here's what I want to share. Don't waste it. The key to patience is trust. Trust God. Know that he has a plan. He has a purpose. Like the baby in the womb, we need all nine months, people. He wants to grow you with every tick of the clock. Trust him. And the key, the other key to wait for service is humility. I'm not above this. God, in my wait in the hospital, in my weight with my child, in my weight with my marriage, in my weight, God, use me to make a difference in the lives of others for your kingdom, for your glory. Don't sit around. Now, just in case we get bent out of shape over patience and humility, I got one for you. There's someone who's been patient and humble better than anyone else in the entire world. I'm going to tell you who it is. You ready? It's Jesus. Now, there's a passage, Philippians 2, and you've, you've got to see this. But Jesus, it, it ends up saying how we need to have the attitude of Jesus. And in Philippians 2, 5 to 11, he says, Although being God, he humbled himself. He became obedient to God, even to the point of death. He took upon himself the nature of a servant. There's no one more humble. There's no one more patient than Jesus Christ. And he is our example. He is our power. 
in the wait. Follow Jesus. Patiently trust God. Humbly serve him wherever he would put you. Would you stand with me? Because chances are right now you're waiting. And you don't like it. And you're swallowing that bitter tea of reality. And you're wondering why. Instead of wondering why, let's wonder what. God, what? What do you want to do? How do you want to grow me? Who do you want me to serve? Like Jesus. Make a difference for his kingdom. For the gospel of Jesus Christ. And wait. I'm going to give you a moment. You need to talk to God. So would you close your eyes? Would you bow your head? And would you talk to him about your weight? Instead of saying, change it, say, change me. Use me. Grow me. In humility, allow me to serve others. In the power of Jesus Christ and the example of Jesus Christ. Would you talk to him right now? And I'll finish up with prayer. Just cry out to him from where you're at. impatience and pride can be so strong at times. God, we get angry when our expectations aren't met. We get arrogant when we serve those who should be beneath beneath us. Father, my heart needs work. Our hearts need work. Your work, God, to be the kind of heart that you can use mightily by your Spirit. Lord, help us not to waste our waiting, but to use it for you and to see you do great things in our lives. May we trust you, wait on you, serve you, and obey you and leave the results up to you. God, we pray this by the power of Jesus Christ. We pray this in the might of your spirit. God, we pray this knowing that you have given us the power through Jesus Christ at the cross to be things that we could not be otherwise. Use our weight for your glory. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all of you, Spake Calvary said, Amen. Use the weight. Don't waste it.